All right, welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Walbrock, and I am excited to have Dean Walker with me here today. So welcome, Dean. Thank you. It's so great to be here with you, Terry. I'm, I've been looking forward to, to our conversation. Yes, me as well. So you are with, uh, or you have a, a website, livingresilience.net. Uh, which I've been on, and um, you have a podcast, and you have a book. You have a book that's out, but you have a book coming out, correct? I do a book and a workbook combination due out in the spring of 2019. Wonderful! Congrats, that's really yeah. cool. I've been working on a book forever, and I'm just like I just keep dragging my feet with it, but I've, I'm bound and determined to finish it in this first quarter. So yeah, I, I kudos All the best to you on that one. I, I sure know that uh, that kind of halfway to the target, halfway to the target situation. So I wish you the best in that in this year. Oh, thank you. I have the proposal done. Um, so that and I've got the, the outline and, and most of it done. I'm just it's that last little oomph that I need to get myself get myself going on. So good. Well, good for you. All right. So tell us what it is that uh, what it is that you do. Yeah. Um, if I remember right, you and I have uh, overlapped or, or we contacted one another uh, because of our mutual interest in, in the resilient the study of resilience and how it's so active in the United States and, and the world uh, in many different agencies and layers. Is that? Yes, is that you, with, through ACES Connection. Are you part of the ACES Connection community? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's where we, we found each other, right? Yeah. Well, what has me be in the ACEs connection world is, is actually connecting with Bob Doppelt's book, um, Transformational Resilience. And so I think it's a, just a brilliant book, and it really stands uh, in a very particular part of that study of human beings being resilient in the face of uh, unimaginable um, challenges and so on. And I... I uh, was drawn to Bob Doppelt's work, which he has uh, really created an entire association for trans transformational resilience and so on. Um, why his brand of this study got my attention was uh, I had had a, uh, a woke moment about five, six years ago now, in which I went from being a um, lifetime environmentalist and very concerned person in that way, to having the, my doors blown off of uh, having a number of presentations that uh, let me know that the stuff that we see out on the horizon that we hear about, you know, the, the most publicized one being climate change, that uh, the information that, that was so shocking to me was that it was, is, it's actually far uh, more uh, critical a concern than we hear about in the news. And it's coming much faster than what we hear in the news. And um, I do some quite a bit of video production and I do some organizational design and training work. And um, before I was going to do some of that kind of work for the people who are doing this presentation, I had to vet the material because it's, I mean, it's just kind of nutty. Uh, it was either the craziest tinfoil hat stuff that, that had ever come down the pike, or this is the transformation of humanity, whether we're ready for it or not. Long story short, I vetted the latter. I actually had to set about learning how to learn about climate change so that I could know, are we actually hearing what's going on? And so I, yeah, I went through that process. And the, the book that you mentioned that I, I put out in 2017 is called The Impossible Conversation. And that book is about that process of having my eyes pried wide open and then my learning how to learn about this stuff, vetting it, and realizing after a 30-year career in various kinds of training work with people from at-risk youth to corporate executives and intimacy with couples and on, I saw that what I knew about hum human beings and how we operate is that this is a conversation that is truly impossible. We, we can't have it. Uh, and uh, I'm not really a pessimist. So it's an unusual step for me to have, have come up with that, that name. 
but um, I hate to say it, but it's really in the two years now since I published the book, it's more true than ever with the caveat, which I hope we'll get to today, that um, th there's also a remarkable amount of um, positive and the best of humanity showing up and what could be called truly hopeful. Perhaps we can get to that later in the conversation yeah. as well, because I have an incredibly mixed relationship with the word hope. The bottom line is my work is to support people who are brave enough to see the world as it, I believe truly is, which is deeply, deeply troubled. That the cl that climate change is but one of a number of very important metrics that um, they just don't look good, and they don't look good. Like within my old guy lifetime, they don't look good. And I think the calling for people who are able to get themselves to see that straight on. Um, what I've taken on as my calling is to offer support and resources and interviews, podcasts like you're doing and so on to be able to um, give folks who are brave enough to face our predicament some support. Do you think that, that bringing it to light and, and trying to um, educate as many people as possible is does that then enlighten people to this situation and then give more hope? Because I, I like to think of it as the more of us come to enlightenment, the more of us that start to realize whatever it is, the traumas that are going on in the world, the impact of traumas on people and their lives and, you know, how it, how it then um, comes out as anger or, you know, in, in war and, you know, whatever it is that, if we can start to heal those wounds, that we then heal our world. I mean, is, is that your ultimate goal? I, um, I have kind of a, a strange center in my experience, I, I think in the direction you're pointing to. Um, I've had a number of, of uh, remarkable immersions in uh, an experience a full body, full life experience of what I've come to call grace. And I'm certainly haven't invented it. I, I, and I'm not a religious person, but the only people that I've been able to talk with about this particular kind of experience are people who have a, tend to be people who have a deeply religious experience and they call it grace. And this is an expansion, a massive expansion of, uh, and really a direct experience of oneness that for most of us, that's just kind of a concept and it seems like it's a nice thing to dream about. Right. And what I'm talking about is I've been blessed with a number of experiences of it so that it's now become something that I actually have access to at will. That particular access and that remarkably beautiful state has with it kind of a strange attribute. And that attribute is that it uh, has nothing to do with setting goals or the maintenance of anything about the human society structure that we call normal around the world. As soon as I start to go to any of that kind of structure, the things we call normal everyday life, um, including having some sort of uh, projected goal of helping people heal and so on, um, that, that tends to take away the experience of that grace. Okay. So I, I hope that's not too confusing. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll decipher, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll marinate that for a while, but yeah, I mean, okay. it, is, it is hard to grasp because... Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, so I, let's... Let me see if I can answer it in a, in a straighter way for you. I, I am offering the best um, of the practices, primarily practices like a menu on the website, on, in the various online courses and, and uh, live training or coaching that I do. 
I'm assembling all the best practices that I've been able to find and also been able to use in my own life for people to be able to be um, as present as they can possibly be in the experience of day-to-day life. And also at the center of my work is the assertion of answering the question, what got us into this predicament? The what got us here is that we disconnected. We've disconnected from our deeper selves, from each other, and from the earth. And so these practices and this entire body of work is meant to be like an offering of a menu for people to choose and set up their own practices for their own life to reconnect. Okay. That reconnection is as good as, is as close to answering your question as I can get. Okay, that makes sense. That's what I'm hoping for for people. That's all I can hope for for myself. Because uh, from the the world as I've seen it and as I've vetted it and as I continue to get updates on a daily basis, we've actually passed many, many of the possible turnoffs where we could have somehow recovered or we could have somehow fixed it or we could somehow have a new green deal and it would save it all. Right. And um, everything I've been researching for the past three years in particular points to we have missed too many of the off ramps and what we're going to be looking at is a tremendous amount of the best word I can offer you is collapse of earth and human systems. So I think earth will fix itself though. Even if, even if humanity would disappear, um, you know, that, that somehow nature survives and earth will survive. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's a, a conversation, perhaps a different branch of the conversation. If you'd like to go there, I, for myself personally, I, um, while I've just said that I, I think it's inevitable that we will see massive collapse of both earth and human systems. Um, and there will be a tremendous amount of other species. We already lose more than 200 species a day Crazy. Yeah. on this planet because mostly because of what humans have caused. Um, for me personally, I have, I, I tend to be an ocean guy. I go to the ocean to recharge my inner batteries. And that's where I've looked to find the, you know, my, my uh, actually kind of my opening or the doorway that I go into to find out what is my calling in life. I go to the ocean yeah. and it's not looking good there. So what you were just saying, well, won't the earth recover itself? I'm certain it will. I'm, you know, they've done it about five other times. Most of the life on the earth on earth has been exterminated. Um, but for now, I have this little intention in my pocket of if there's a way to just round the edges a little bit to make make it uh, just a little bit more possible that that there might still be monarch butterflies by the time I die. It's not looking good. They're down 90%. And so I have my little pet projects and my little ways of making a difference in the world. And really all of that is within the set of practices that I've set up for myself to reconnect with the web of life. Okay. And then you teach others that as well. Exactly. And each person's practices will be different for whatever their emphasis is. It'll be different for folks who are parents than it will be for those who are artists and who are different than people who are already deeply involved in business. Um, But they all will have that background intention of reconnecting with life. And then so like safe circle, that is something that you do as well. Is that something that you then invite people to be a part of? Yeah. Thanks for asking. You know, uh, I, I did quite a bit of uh, conspiring and conjuring with a, a remarkable author named Carolyn Baker, who's probably the most uh, prolific writer about, you know, the more or less the question is, who will we be together? What will be the quality of our relationships 
in the face of these predicaments and so on. And when Carolyn and I did our last online summit, uh, actually, no, it was a couple of, couple of years ago now, we realized after the few weeks of wonderful guests and wonderful conversations and thought leaders and so on, that there was nothing. There was no support. There was no way to stay connected. So we've been offering a uh, safe circle call, which is a um, every other week. It's the first, third, and fifth Tuesday evenings. Uh, and it's a free Zoom call like the platform that you and I are talking on right now. And it's just, it's an hour for people from all over the place to be able to come together and to have a safe place to be able to just share what's on our heart. And that ranges from the, the despair and the grief that can so often happen in this topic. But remarkably often, there's this incredible joy and this warmth and this um, grace shows up because people don't have to be guarded. Right. There's, there's no uh, intention to have to keep up the facade that what we're really, when we say sustainable, what we're saying is we want to sustain this business as usual uh, industrial complex around the world that is actually doing the destruction. We can let that go. We can let that relax and dissipate. And what we're left with is people who are seeing each other in grace okay. of being extremely present, welcoming and bearing witness to each other's joys and pains. And as simple as that sounds, Terry, it, it's rare. Right. Well, yeah, soul-to-soul connection. It is rare. Yes, yeah. very much so. So the Safe Circle will also be a big part of this book and workbook that I'm going to be releasing in, in 2019. Um, this, this book will be far more, um, I think, relatable and also far more like the workbook is literally going to be hands-on how to integrate these practices, choose your practices and integrate them, including finding your people, which is part of that safe circle idea is, you know, this, as far as I can tell right now, this is our time to find our people before any kind of major financial collapse before the oceans fully collapse, you know, and so on, before these massive stressors come through the space, how about setting it up so that there's a safe container where we can support and bear witness with each other? So that will be a part of that workbook. Okay. Is the book available for order yet? Not yet. Um, Hopefully soon, but I I don't think it's going to be any sooner than uh, uh, March or April 2019. Okay, but if people go to you, visit your website, um, they can sign up, or um, and then they'll be notified of when it's available. Absolutely, yeah, I'll I'll be having the um, that kind of arrangement of, of being able to sign up, and also um, you know the call it the newsletter, if you will. Uh, I'll be putting out very regular little snippets from the book and and the workbook, so that uh, people can get a sense of this is something that works for them or doesn't. Awesome. So who is your target audience? Um, It's very clear to me that there's no, there's very little uh, possibility that someone who is in full on denial of that there are any threats at all to earth and human systems. um, So I could pretty safely say it's, you know, they're welcome but I, it's unlikely that they'll show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyone back from there if, with a curiosity, I think the the biggest audience I would love to invite is anyone who's got that feeling in their heart, like things are not right. Whatever that means, they don't have to have any of the specifics on climate change or on species loss or habitat loss or po- politics or inequity, but really just that feeling of things, there's something really wrong here. And, and yet 
so how do I find out or how do I connect with other people? That's the kind of folks that I would like to invite to be able to um, really build up their own uh, inner toolkit of resilience. Yes. And to be able to um, expand their capacity to be present as the heat gets turned up, so to speak. Right. I love the idea of resilience. Um, you know, in, in, in my personal story, everybody always asked me, you know, how did you overcome it? How did you do it? And I never really had an answer. And then when I came across ACES Connection and the, the idea of resilience came and I was like, oh, this was it. You know, I had had these people in my life who helped me. Um, and yeah, and resilience is such a huge, huge part of it. And so I love it that, you know, well, your website is Living Resilience and that, you know, that's a big part of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Great. I'm with you. I, I've had... Uh, my own brand of very daunting circumstances to get through. And um, I have come to a place which sounds similar to what I heard you saying in a, an interview that I listened to, uh, to earlier in which, um, you know, I've really come to appreciate it as one of the most important times in my life. This, well, I got run over by a boat basically, and it almost cut off my right leg. Wow. And um, it went from being something that's life-threatening and, oh, my God, and, and it, by any measure, that's a bad thing and awful thing and so on. Right. And in a pretty short period of time, that became, while I was in it, that became some of the most profound um, and enlightening and connecting time in my life that was the biggest immersion in that state of grace that you and I were talking about just a few minutes ago yes that I ever had I like to think of it as and I've talked about it with so many other podcast guests you know when you when you find the gift within that terror within the chaos or within when you can find the gift within it yeah it is it is just such a moment of grace and um very powerful and, and enlightening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned about resilience, and I, I think I'd like to just share a little bit about what had me so um, drawn to the whole field of resilience, but particularly Bob Doppelt's, is that it, it paralleled that experience that I had with the leg injury and being in convalescence for so long and so on. Um, I was, I was really driven in the injury and the convalescence. I was driven to just the most essential level of being present. I couldn't, I could no longer have any attention on business, on work, even on the daily living stuff of shopping and so on, nothing. And what I was left with was this pure essence of my attention. And I remember distinctly in the middle of what must, I think it was about six months of being laid up, um, being very clear that my attention, what I put my attention on healed. So I was obviously trying to heal this leg and I was really mustering all of my previous spiritual practices and so on to get there. And in, within that, I saw that my attention was actually the source of healing. And then just an inch beyond that realization was that attention is love. Yeah. Attention is the coin of the realm in that spiritual, that implicit senses and implicit memory level of experience that attention is love shift for just a moment with me, if you will, to how attention is considered in the, in our workaday world. Again, attention is the coin of the realm. Literally you got Facebook and Google and everybody else 
sucking our attention out and, and monetizing it. So it's the coin of the realm, literally. But all the meaning, all the human meaning and, and the preciousness and the grace that was in this realization, the implicit senses and memory that's implied so much in the in resilience training for that matter, was had been is completely missing when we're in this disconnected state of our everyday lives. Right. So we're not able to build the resilience is what you're saying. I'm saying we have a perfect storm of disempowerment when we have disconnected from the primary sources of meaning in our lives, from deeper self, each other, and earth. That's exactly, those connections are exactly where that grace lives. Right. That's exactly where our implicit senses and memory are. And that's where uh, what Elaine Karras and, and her folks at the Trauma Resources Institute, when they talk about the, the resilience zone, that we want to stay and be able to return to our resilience zone. Yes. What gets us there, what gets us connected and, and gets us uh, solidly grounded in that resilience zone in which we all flourish. Well, and that's so very true because uh, my resilience, you know, I, when I started to really look at it and I thought, what was it? Um, you know, it was my relationship with, with a grandmother who was very present in my life. And it was just how her very simple, and it was just love. It was, she never yelled at me. I had so much chaos going on in my life. And it was just a very simple love. Um, and she just loved me for who I was. And then I had a teacher in second grade and I would wander the streets, you know, through our neighborhood to her house and just sit on her front porch with her. And again, it was so simplistic, but it had an incredibly powerful effect for helping me build resilience. Yeah. And again, connection. So, yeah. So thank you for that. Can you feel, I so appreciate how you just shared that. I, I'm moved. Thanks. <laughs> and, and so that's you, what you've just done is, is let us touch that, that implicit memory that you just took us back to. You could feel that memory and you shared a, in, in such a way that those of us who are open to it can feel with you. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why I love the more people put their stories out there and the more that people share it, there is tremendous connection to be had. And, and like you said, then it helps us all build up. Um, yeah and reach that, that place of grace. So, and I love the idea of grace. Um, you know, no one's brought that up on the podcast before, and I love it. I love that idea. Um, very beautiful, very powerful. My dad was a Jesuit brother for eight years uh, before he left the seminary. And one of the, I loved my deep conversations with my dad. He left this earth in 2009, but, and I miss our powerful, deep conversations. But one of the things, his favorite things to talk about was the gift of grace. Mm -hmm. um, and how powerful it is in, in life. So I, I think it's great that you have, you've experienced it. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I wouldn't wish anybody else going through the kind of trauma that I went through to get to that state. And especially the, the long one with the leg and so on. Um, I, I would just like to loop back one more time at the risk of being repetitive you just shared with us in such a simple, sweet way that, that is just as real as any portion of that months-long trauma leg thing. You just shared with us that tiny little moment. And all of a sudden, time kind of stretched out a little bit for us all, who, all of us who were open to being with you in that way. And... Ironically, that whole safe circle idea we were talking about just a few minutes ago, that's time to find our people. How on earth will we find our people and get together and, and support one another and bear witness with one another in such a polarized world? Right. 
but look how short a time it took for you to just share that sweet little story. There was nothing political about it. There was nothing polarizing about it. And I felt immensely closer to you. I felt my own heart opening. Right. So if, if I'm, I guess I'm kind of recapping this to speak with anybody who might be in your audience who's wondering, gosh, how do I ever get a support group going when this world is so fragmented and so discouraging that what we, we really need to do to find our people is be willing to crack open our own hearts, break open our own hearts in the most beautiful way we can and find others with whom we can do that together. Yes. Amen and hallelujah. And I, again, <laughs> tell people that because I say, you know, when it, it, it and it's so, it, again, it just seems simplistic, but um, I, I noticed this is it's so funny, but this group or, or this uh, event going on at a local brewery here in Cincinnati, and it, it's Singo, and it's like bingo but they play music. And so I put it out on Facebook and I was like, who wants to go to Singo with me? And this big group of people responded and we all got together. And I think we were the envy of the brewery that night because we were all singing at the top of our lungs. And, you know, it was like eighties night, you know, flashback to music and, you know, our kind of music because, you know, in our fifties, forties and fifties and what an absolute blast. And I'm telling you, I did. I felt such a soul connection, heart connection to all those people as we just let ourselves enjoy the joy of that moment. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I mean, I understand that, yes, as we find our people, as we open ourselves up and we put ourselves out there, we put our stories out there, but we just, we just put ourselves out there for opportunities to connect. That's how I look at it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for acknowledging my my grandma my grandma story. She was she was awesome little lady. So, any myths or facts? I know you've talked about some things, but are, are there any myths that um, you want to clarify for listeners? Yeah, I I would love to, and I, if if you don't mind, I'd like to answer that in kind of an oblique way. Um, I I have a real problem. I have a real mixed bag relationship with the word hope. Okay. Um, about the uh, best I could come up with as a, uh, as a rough definition of hope, as I see it, I've seen it in the past few years, especially writing my first book, um, hope ended up sounding an awful lot like, gee, I hope the experts find answers to the, all these pesky problems going on so we can get back as soon as possible to business as usual. I think that's still kind of the predominant background definition um, loosely. And I find that um, not only disempowering, but kind of pathetic given how noble and brilliant I believe people can be. Um, so I have a, I'm kind of short tempered with that particular um, kind of shallow definition. So excuse me for all this, all this judgment but I just want to throw it out there and be real for a second. Right. Um, I, I think there, there may be better definitions of hope on the horizon. Somebody can come up with a better way of saying it. But for the moment, I'd like to propose that we shelf hope as somehow the thing that we're really after right now. Hope that we can continue the, our human operating system in this very, very destructive way that it's going. And the oblique way I'd like to finish answering the question is this incredible poem from a woman named Jennifer Wellwood. And uh, it's called The Dakini Speaks. And I think she has this sobriety and adulthood in her voice that is so missing in so much of our culture. We're not an adult culture. We're at best maybe an adolescent culture together. And um, she has this sobering, brilliant, yet it's kind of um, adult-loving way of presencing a different relationship with hope. So if I may. Sure. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, 
let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings, but please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed, as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion is exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. Phew. That's powerful. Yeah. Wow. How funny. My newsletter to everybody that I send out once a month is Hope for Healing. (laughs) 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 Like everything, I think when I give my, when I give my speeches and I'm up on stage, it's, it's, um, um, Unicorn Shadows is, is like the title of, of the book that I'm writing. Um, and it's all about like like my whole premise is hope. <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna sorry. have to really take that one in. So yeah. But yeah. but again, not in a wow, I hope you get better. It's it's more of I put hope out there as a possibility. Yeah. That's how I look I, at hope. Um Terry, I'm I apologize. I don't at all mean to rain on your or anybody else's parade. Oh gosh, and, no. Uh, I mean but, I but, let me let me just finish for a second because I I can fall in very easily be um, corralled into the kind of doom and gloom camp, and I don't find myself there. I am actually remarkably um, buoyed by this experience of grace and the the nobility and the beauty and the love that's possible between human beings and also the, the miracle that is life. Right. So I, I want you to know that I honor your use of hope and I, I trust your heart and your intent by using the word hope. And I don't mean to be derogatory. So I really want that to be clear because, um, and I don't hear that in Jennifer Wellwood as an attack or a judgment. I hear it as a, a request for us to be sober and be adults and approach life through that door of grace, holding that sobriety. Is that making sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, and I get what she was saying is too. Um, and a thought popped in my head and then it just popped back out. But um, <laughs> I, I totally, <laughs> that's menopause. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally get, I, I do understand um, that there's, it's not, I didn't even necessarily hear that last part as no hope as in hope doesn't exist, but stop using hope as like an excuse. Is hope, stop, um, maybe excuse isn't the right word. It'll come to me. Um, but yeah, that, and again, I look at hope as it's not necessarily the answer in and of itself. It's the possibility. Yeah. The possibility of healing, the possibility, and that it's not specifically one thing. Um, I think hope just to me is, is, is so, it's such a large umbrella. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, that's, that's where I, the direction I take with it. But then again, I mean, I understand what you're saying because people can use that hope umbrella, you know, just to be like, well, it'll all take care of itself. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah. So, I get it. I do. Yeah. So, so your original question was, you know, are there any myths I'd like to dispel? 
uh, I think we've really landed at the center of that, which is that I would love to dispel the myth that, that, um, that our culture has really groomed us to be disempowered and to be distracted constantly and self-absorbed constantly within the confines of the workaday world. We're just constantly consumed in it all. And um, the myth I'd like to, to set aside or displace is that that's acceptable now as a human strategy for living. Um, I think those days are done. And I think the people who don't choose to look squarely at what's happening in this, in the, with that adult sobriety, um, I think there, they will be in a tremendous amount of pain uh, trying to keep that level of dissonance in place. I think it's going to be really hard and painful to keep the illusion that happens in this, that superficial definition of hope in place and then pretend like everything's fine. Right. I keep coming back to, and maybe I'm wrong in, in understanding, but again, I keep thinking, you know, as we reconnect with ourselves, our true selves and who we are, and as we start to heal whatever it is that's hurting within us, that that's when it makes it possible for us to then connect to other souls and connect, you know, back to earth. And um, so it is... It is about a healing process of um, healing ourselves individually. And like you said, when, you, when we're distracted by whatever it is we're distracted by, it makes it hard because we're, we keep pushing that part off, <laughs> if that makes sense. Am I getting it? Totally. I, okay. You've just said it with just slightly different words, but I would say that you just summarized beautifully this idea of reconnection practices that I choose to take on in my life to reconnect with life, specifically with deeper self, with each other, and with the earth. Right. And so I that, say, I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt, like, like meditation and yoga and, yeah. nature, and nature walks and um, recycling. <laughs> like, that's my way. Those are the things I'm implementing in my life. Yes. Um, you know, to feel as if I'm, I'm healing myself uh, yep. in the process. So, yeah. And not selfishly. I'm not, I mean, yes, I want to feel, but I also want to connect with others. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I love it. All right. <laughs> um, so I have to ask my, my favorite question. And I gave you a little forewarning of it, but it's just one of my all-time favorite. If you could meet anyone dead or alive, to help you with your mission, who would it be? Um, well, I, I uh, dedicated my first book to Rachel Carson and Jacques Cousteau, both of whom are deep heroes in my life uh, for their voice and their ex direct experience of what human being, the cost of what human beings were doing uh, 40, 50 years ago uh, and more. So I, if you'd caught me just as I was releasing that book, I'd have said one of those two. Um, recently I've been doing a, a lot of, uh, including new and deeper, uh, distinctions in this book and workbook. And one of them is about, uh, how to be present when our culture is, so addictive we are so completely distracted mm -hmm. and immersed in addiction as as a culture and the person that keeps coming up is buddha the buddha gautama buddha and um i am not a buddhist i've done plenty of study but i'm i'm not a practicing buddhist but um Buddha's life history and experience of grappling with his own addictive, distractive tendencies and uh, to be able to, his, his brand of resilience that he brought forward and that then rippled out through how many millions of people oh, 
right. have been inf influenced in such an extraordinary way. If I got a chance to hang out with Buddha for a little while, I'd be stoked. <laughs> <laughs> what a great conversation that would be. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, thank you for that answer. And then is there anything else that you want to address, uh, you know, with audience listeners? <clears throat> um, you know, I, I would just like to put out a request to folks, uh, and that's to, to do, I request that y'all do your best to, to consider what you and I started this conversation out with, which was noticing how much trauma and, and stress there, are, there is in the world and our attention on building resilience to all that. I think there's an extraordinarily important piece of knowledge that I think I wish they taught in every school. And that is trauma awareness, basically. It's kind of a, a trendy thing in agencies across the USA and around the world. That's great at that level, but I think everybody needs this knowledge of when we're traumatized very young, that influences every chapter of life all the way through to the end. And for us to understand that, um, and the best we get now is, is we get these repulsive, huge examples of trauma in our, in our collective system that, is, that we're responsible for. It's happening in our country, for instance, separating the children and families at the border and so on. That's just one of hundreds of examples of trauma that we've embedded in our system and normalized. Right. This is normal in our, in our uh, USA where we think we are so thoughtful and so generous and so good. And as, as painful and uncomfortable as it might be, I would recommend to people to do some research, get some support to understand those dynamics. Yeah. Uh, what you were saying so well just a few minutes ago about if we do our own healing, isn't that going to ripple out and make a difference? And yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, it's uncomfortable as heck. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it is truly the impossible conversation. So it's like I, I, I might as well be asking, take your fingernails and scratch them down a chalkboard time and time again until you can't take it anymore. I, I know it's awful sounding, but it's been extraordinarily freeing for me to be in this study of resilience, of trauma awareness, of this whole ACEs or adverse childhood experiences conversation that, that you're so well-versed in. I, um, I would invite people to find out more about that yeah. so that it can be integrated as an understanding and, and a place to stand for a different way of being with one another, whether it's, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, communities, and so on. That's I, I put that out there recently. This I would love to see a world that is a trauma-informed world mm -hmm. so that we respect one another. We've all been through something. Yes, of course. Um, and if we can just honor that in one another, um, wow, I just, you know, there's where my hope lies <laughs> is yeah. that, you know, if we can start to honor that, that, um, that trauma, that pain, that, uh, yeah. our, each other's stories. Um, I mean, perhaps this is our next, next conversation when we get together again, which I hope we do. Yeah. You know, imagine if we could have a trauma informed conversation as we peruse the political panorama that we live in now, you sure. know, what are the, uh, obvious traumatic roots to our president's behavior, to the other politicians' behavior, to um, uh, corporate executives' behavior, and so on. I think those are important kind of lenses to view our world through. And I think it would be a very valuable conversation. So I hope we do get to talk again oh, soon. Oh, absolutely. I think, my gosh, we could probably talk for hours, days, weeks <laughs> on that one for sure. Yes. Yeah. When you so look at it. One last thing, if I may. Sure. In addition to whenever we might talk again, which, again, would be great for me. Um, 
uh, one piece that I'm I'm just literally today I believe is is uh, I'm initiating a uh, a series of online courses that are going to be available through the website, and really what it's available what's what's going to be happening is um, depending on what people's desire is, we're going to be having series of videos, articles, and so on that uh, that really invite a deep dive into learning about a particular piece of this kind of stuff. For instance, what does it mean to be trauma aware? Right. You know, at the most basic level, I need an introduction. Where do I get it? Like that. Awesome. So maybe you and I could talk about putting together a, a series. Yes. I, I love, love, love that idea. And I, I love the idea of deep diving because I I connect so much with people who are willing to go there um, and go into those deep, sometimes scary places. Because, um, again, you know, part of my philosophy is that you you have to go through the darkness to get to the light. Yeah, Um, and it can be it can be terrifying. But if we start to hold each other's hands as we go through that darkness, um, that's when it makes a little more bearable. So, yeah, and I love that idea for that reason. So, very cool. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, it has been an absolute honor to have you here. How do people get a hold of you again? Well, uh, at the website is probably the the best and easiest way, which is uh, livingresilience.net. Right there on the front page, you can sign up for the newsletter or that safe circle group that uh, we talked about quite a while ago and uh and also those online courses uh will be starting today (laughs) all right wonderful uh also um you know people just want to connect with me uh via email that that information is there on the website but it's safecircle at gmail.com and i'm dean walker all right wonderful well everyone thank you for joining us today and until next time remember to be gentle with yourselves bye-bye